Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pandemic Check-In. This is the show where we talk about how we're doing, how we're coping, how we're not coping, everything that's happening right now in quarantine with the pandemic. Uh, we're here with the groundbreaking mental health professionals at Brooklyn Mines. We have today Dr. Owen Muir, psychiatrist. Hi, Owen. Hello. And Michelle Burnaby, uh, psychiatric nurse. How are you doing today, Michelle? I'm doing good. Thanks, Ben. It's sort of a, an interesting time. I mean, I feel like uh, there's all this like hope and optimism right now that's happening. Things are opening up. Summer is here. But I'm also seeing lots of people on the beach doing things that I wouldn't be comfortable doing. And then I'm also sort of like looking at the states that are like flouting all social distancing and kind of like, why aren't there infection rates going up? I thought they should be going up. I thought I should be winning because I'm still doing all this really drastic stuff, but it doesn't seem like I'm winning. So there's a little bit of like, I don't know if you want to call it schadenfreude or... Um, the opposite. Yeah, the opposite. Like, like... Maybe I'm a, maybe I'm the sucker sitting around here not going to the beach this weekend, you know? What are you, what are you guys seeing and how are you guys feeling about everything that's happening this week? Well, I did notice that this SpaceX crew are not wearing masks. Oh right, as we're recording this, there's the big SpaceX launch that's set to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are a lot there are lots of people who aren't wearing masks and I'm you know that's kind of like me and my wife are kind of like are we suckers for wearing masks or are we the, like literally going around walks in our neighborhood even here in you know blue blue as can be Los Angeles California like people aren't wearing masks anymore people are seem like they're starting to do normal things again and I'm just kind of wondering like am I the only one what's happening here I mean, I th some things I saw this week that were interesting was a store selling a matching mask to match the bikini. So it was like a three-piece. That was f interesting and funny. There definitely have been a bunch of, um, as, as you've gotten more and more into this mask regulation, like better and higher quality masks coming on. And I'm kind of waiting for like all my influencer people I know to start having, you know, like the Gucci mask oh, or the Chanel yeah. mask. Or the... <laughs> I mean, I I bought one of Etsy that was sequins. Oh, nice. Yeah, because I saw some yoga company selling us. I was like, that's pretty cool. And then found it on Etsy for like $20. Oh, and how about you? How are you feeling about things that are happening now? Where's your sort of personal headspace at? So I, I, I'm trying to balance in my mind the public health practicalities of how do we keep this to a minimum? And the answers to that are different from how do we feel good about how, what we're doing personally to keep this to a minimum and separate from how do I live with myself and others through a thing in which it is possible I could have some part in making it worse in some way. We're like somewhere in the middle, right? Like we're not super strict. We're not totally loose. We're somewhere in the middle. And I think depending on kind of like where you are in the country, you're maybe more towards one end or the other. Are you guys noticing or what, what, what are your patients telling you guys these days? Like, does it feel like the worst is over for them or does it feel like people are still freaking out? Where, where, where are the people that you're talking to? What are they thinking? I think people are tired. And I think things are better now and it, they're living in that moment. The strain is starting to show in ways it hasn't for some people before. 
I was going to say, and then the anxiety about reopening. Like some people are finding they actually enjoy staying at home. I feel like um, I, I, one of my quarantine projects I decided was going to be um, growing my hair out because I've been thinking I sh- I'd like to have long hair again, but that's a very long process. And now that things are opening up again, I'm having anxiety about that awkward in-between stage that my hair is going to be in if I choose to go forward. I won't have the convenient excuse of saying, oh, quarantine, I can't get my hair cut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Quarantine, I you know, have to take a shower every day again. Yeah, I got to go back to taking a shower every day. <laughs> I do remember something that you said, Owen, in one of the very first episodes uh, that at the time struck me as a little like I didn't quite understand it. But the, these past couple weeks, a lot of people have been bringing it up, this idea of it being very, very boring. How do we deal with this? It reminds me of Pema Chandran's When Things Fall Apart, right? I mean, essentially, we're what we're all being asked to do, which is like live this like slow life like enjoying things like cooking like it's like the essence of mindfulness and her kind of theory is like you know some of us have to spend all this time uh studying this wisdom to get to these like mindful maybe spiritual moments or you just get thrown into a crisis and you have no choice but to figure out how to be present in boring moments like this uh, so along those same lines, I want to. We have a guest with us today, uh, Paul Vincent from Altus Health. Uh, Paul is a trainer and fitness expert who specializes in making health and well-being a byproduct of everybody's unique individual lifestyle. Uh, he works in Santa Monica. Hey, Paul. Hey there. Welcome to Pandemic Check-in. <clears throat> Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I would be really remiss to say that uh, you know you know you're not just a personal trainer. You trained the entire cast of Star Wars: The Force Awakens, and that's an important, I think, thing to say. I know you just, yeah, see, I, you just see Michelle's wait, face on you, the Zoom you right tra- now. <laughs> you trained them in what? In health and fitness. That's what I do. Oh, I work cool. a lot with professional athletes and a lot of actors on movies and, and things like that. The pandemic has been really crazy for you, I'm sure. What? Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about what your pandemic, what your quarantine, what have you been going through? It's been, you know. It's it's been gone through phases. Um, initially, it was you know we we in LA we have a physical space like a gym um, and rehab center, and so that was suddenly disappeared. And so we're like, okay, what happened? What do I do now? And since then, the question has been, okay, what does the future of health look like? And we still don't know because we don't know when or even if people are going to be comfortable getting together in groups. So there's so much unknown that it's really sort of shaken my world. And I've had to really think, okay, how are people going to consume this? How are people going to deal with health kind of in the future? And it's hard for me to know, is this like a short term future? Is this a medium term future? Yeah, Um, yeah. I I think, you know, with that, with just jumping on with that is that for me, that's how I try and look at it. It's like, okay, this is the time to to everything sort of crumbled. You know, and we get to look and go, okay, I can rebuild it as close to the way it was, or I can rethink it and go, okay, I have, I have a moment to take a breath and to look at what do I want? What kind of future do I want to sort of build? And who do I want to show up as in that future? Exactly. What are your clients saying? What are the people you work with? What are they going through? And then how are you working with them to help? We, um, we started off with doing a lot of online group stuff. And 
it was initially like everyone was in a bit of like shock and we didn't know is this going to be a week a couple of weeks and so they started to consume those and then everyone sort of slid off and i think they went into their like a little hibernation little cocoon which we sort of let them do because you know as we just mentioned people were reassessing their their life their values what they spend their time doing and so we sort of allowed them to do it in the meantime we were looking how to pivot and go take our whole um company online we're not really health and fitness in the way traditionally health and fitness is consumed i learned early on no matter how great my programs are people have to do them and every pail every program fails due to compliance and so that's when we pivoted our business, you know, 10 years ago to instead of going, okay, how do we get the best program? We still focus on that. But it's now, what are the barriers that stop you from fulfilling that program or attaining that goal? And so we're more lifestyle education now. And so we're looking how we can take the course that we would teach physically and we can put that online so people can then can consume it. And we're about changing habits, changing behavior. So the byproducts become the goals, the, the results you want. Is there like a particular story you could tell us about a, a, a client that has had a hard time and that you've been able to help, like a success story that you could tell us about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll, tell, I'll tell you, um, I can't tell you who it is, but there was an actor from a movie um, who they, what happens in movies often is they, they'll film it and then they have to stop and then they come back for reshoots. And this actor gained a lot of weight during that period. And so had to lose weight very quickly to to uh, uh, maintain the consistency of the character. And so we gave them, you know, a diet. We're like, hey, here's diet and here's exercise program. And in a vacuum, that would have had success. But we know that's not the real world. And so as we presented them this, them, part of the, um, the diet plan was intermittent fasting. So only eating in a certain window throughout the day. And they were having so much trouble with that. Because along with it, we, we took out certain foods that weren't conducive to their energy or to their health. And what that did to them, it made them feel isolated and alone, which that feeling shouldn't typically be associated with food or people don't usually associate it. But what I realized that what was happening is that they were going to this food as a coping, as a masking, um, as escape. And so when I removed that from them, to them, it felt like I was taking the only joy, the only survival technique they have. I was taking that away from them. And, you know, we ran up against these barriers and we had to sort of deal with that. We had to confront that. And I don't deal with the actual, hey, what's the anxiety? I deal with the, um, the sort of chemical response, the feelings we get. And so we use techniques which are catharsis. So um, uh, we did breath catharsis, movement catharsis. Part of what I do for my research, I, I travel and live with different indigenous cultures around the world. And I embed myself with them for months at a time sometimes. And I learn sort of how their behavior compared to our Western behavior. And so what I'm looking at are biogenic traits. So traits that all humans have and how we respond to um, the stimuli. And so they have these techniques that they either do these festivals where they dance or they move or they yell or they do heavy breathing. And different cultures around the world have different ones. And we even have them, um, like, um, have you heard of Wim Hof, their breathing method? He's developed this 
breathing method and it allows him to affect his autonomous nervous system. And there's a lot of research done on him because now he can override some of the automatic processes. Like one is the response to cold. So he can get in very, very cold temperatures and stay in there. So he's had direct, he's fully submerged in ice for over two hours with his body temperature not dropping. And so he's using these breathing techniques, which other cultures use, which is getting rid of this catharsis, this energy that's built up. So when we have a negative thought, as, as you guys know, it um, produces a chemical response. And that somehow stays with me. And now what happens is that, you know, this is what I see with my clients, with a lot of athletes, they try and avoid that feeling, but it's inside them. So they can't get away from it. So what they do, they try and mask it. So then they go to food. So with this particular client I'm talking to, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to get away from the feeling as opposed to getting rid of the feeling. And um, I took sort of a play from this um, tribe in Africa that what they do when there's trauma or stress, they go outside in the sun and, and have a drumming circle. And to us, that might sound like, oh, it's just something, you know, fun to do. But they really believe that it's, it's cathartic, it's purgative for them. So they go out and they dance and they move and that shifts the energy in them. Um, my background, I have a master's degree in human performance. It's a science degree. And for me, it was very difficult to understand sort of what was going on. And we still don't know. But with, with, in the world of quantum physics, we're starting to understand a little bit about their shift of the energy, the atomic nature of, you know, um, us as beings and how this movement can sort of shift something. It's shifting some energy or something. So we did a lot of this catharsis with this client uh, movement. He even did... Um, some um, like silent scream, like I don't know if you, if you guys have done that, like yelling into a pillow or, or banging the bed, just getting this energy going. And this, that's the catharsis I'm talking about. And then from there, we found out what things made him comfortable. So what brings him joy? And in this case, it was, he was playing an instrument which he hadn't picked up for 10 years. And so we create this behavior in his life that brought him joy. And instead of using the food to mask, then he used that um, instrument. And then we were able to apply this um, uh, diet plan to him and he was able to achieve his goals. So there was, what we did, we just removed the barrier that was preventing him from reaching or determining his goals. That's fascinating. It seems a, a lot like uh, different ways of explaining things we deal with every day. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think there's so much, I mean, you started talking about how you spend time with indigenous cultures. There's so much wisdom we're yet to catch up with from those cultures. What are what are some things like, you know, we've been talking so far today about like the boredom of the pandemic of quarantine, you know, dealing with boredom, but also dealing with anxiety, right? Not knowing how things are going to go, not knowing even like what's happening day to day. Uh, what are physical or dietary or, you know, energy wise, you know, things that you counsel your clients dealing with with, with their pandemic stresses, like anxiety, boredom, whatever else. Yeah, what, what I coach with everyone, and, and not just during pandemic, but they're really important during pandemic, are these routines. So these behavioral routines that people do, and if you stick to them, you'll have a, a benefit kind of down the road. You know, what, what I noticed with a lot of, lot of my clients is when this first, and with me too, when it first happened, we went to uh, finding a lot of comfort which was in, in eating, within um, maybe watching TV, watching a lot of movies, and just kind of getting into this uh, protective 
condition. Mm -hmm. um, as people started to get more comfortable, we were able to bring them out and instill different behaviors and different habits. And some of them were, you know, what I recommend is a, it's a strong morning routine and a strong evening routine. And it can be things like starting with some meditation, mindfulness meditation, whatever that is to you, whether it's counting your breath or sitting quietly or whatever it is, get into a flow state. Um, doing something like that initially when you're sort of coming out from a delta wavelength, kind of your brain's waking up. Um, and so you can gently come into that. Then I do some breathing. And there's many different breathing techniques, but great ones are just breathing, uh, to take a very deep breath and then exhaling easily, deep breath, exhaling easily, and you can do like 20 breaths. And that will start to um, shift your energy. And then from that, I try and read something positive or watch some or listen to something positive. And that's sort of my morning routine. And the evening routine is very similar. There's things that I do in, you know, I, I try and stop eating a couple of hours before I go to sleep or before I get into bed. I try and um, change the lighting in my house so it's not sort of an intense bright light, it's a dimmer light, more red light. So that's starting to, to get into affect my circadian rhythm. And then I do calming breathing. And so in the evening, my breathing is different, where in the morning it's more energetic. In the evening, it might be diaphragmatic breathing, where I'm just focusing on my diaphragm or something called ratio breathing, where I'm doing a, a, a shorter inhale to my exhale or box breathing, where I'm inhaling, holding, exhaling, holding. Um, so the different calming techniques that I do. And then I try and sort of relax my brain so it drifts, it, it sort of sinks down, down into the delta state, into my sleep state. And then hopefully I can wake up and get back into it, stay in the circadian rhythm. So you're doing that right before bed? The things you mm. just described is right before bed? I'm doing it in bed. In bed, <clears throat> oh, okay. Yeah, yep. so I lay in bed and I do my breathing. Because sometimes like I can easily, especially when I'm thinking about my business, the future of stuff, I can get hooked oh, onto yeah, these thoughts. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, <laughs> <That's easy. laughs> and then my <laughs> adrenaline's up. You know, I coach a lot on, um, and you guys know this better than me, but on perceived danger versus real dangers. Um, you know, when I'm with these tribes, there's, um, it's, it's interesting to watch because they have quite a bit of real danger. You know, there's things that can kill them quite easily, other animals, um, but they seem more peaceful and calmer than us. And what I notice is that they don't have as much perceived danger, which it's sort of easier to have real danger because it's tangible, because they can go, okay, there's a, there's a gorilla over there. I'm going to go this way so I don't, you know, get attacked by it. Where is, if I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking about, oh my God, what's the future of my company look like? It's not tangible. It's in a, it's in a, it's, it doesn't have any matter. So I can't grasp on it. So I can easily go off. So this breathing technique in, in bread helps me um, get into that, allow my brain to go into that sleep state, to let go. There's not a danger that I don't have the adrenaline, the chemicals in my body that are sort of making me alert. Michelle, I saw you nodding when, when Paul was talking about perceived versus real dangers. What, uh, tell me about perceived and real dangers from your perspective. Well, I mean, I think that's like the essence of what's going on right now, right? I mean, it's why people choose to wear masks, why people don't, why people are staying inside, why people aren't. It's perceived versus real danger. I think it's but, really hard to tell now because yeah. humans are terrible at assessing risk. And there are things now that are very dangerous, but maybe not to you. And that's even more confusing. And, and when you're talking about using breath to, to control your mind, that's quite literally true. Our feelings are a story we tell ourselves. Our brain puts together all this input from the world, from inside ourselves, 
and interprets whether there is danger or not based on the summation of that information. And when you enforce kind of cognitively breathing more slowly and diaphragmatically, that activates receptors in your lungs that provide feedback to your brain that says, I'm breathing slowly. I only breathe slowly, the brain then thinks, when I'm calm, so now I must be calm. Things must not be so dangerous, and I can tell because I'm breathing calmly. Similarly, your heart rate going up makes you think things are dangerous or exciting, depending on the context. So if you have a triple latte in the morning, and then you go to take a test, oh my god, I'm so anxious about this test. Are you going on a date? Wow, this is a great date. I'm so excited. And if you can do things to help your heart rate slow down, like breathing diaphragmatically, you know, doing those focus activities, you're, you're going to control how your brain tells itself a story about how you feel, and that will change how you feel and, in turn, how your body will react. Hmm. A story highlighting the power of what Paul was talking about with breathing. My dad uh, spent a while working for DARPA, which is the Military Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, so it's like Men in Black. When I was a kid, I asked him what was the most powerful weapon that was going on there, and he said, uh, studying monks breathing, that there was a project just studying breath work, and that that was, in his opinion, DARPA's most powerful weapon. <laughs> Wow. What, what, what did he mean by that? Did he ever tell you how to, how to wield that weapon, Michelle? She <laughs> does it every day. No. <laughs> yeah. Paul, we just have a few minutes left. I know everybody's got to go see patients and deal with clients, but I wanted to ask you, we have a lot of parents who listen to the show, so parents dealing with kids, if you have just a few tips uh, for you know, how, to, how to help kids dealing with, with everything they're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we actually, I, I started out actually coaching kids. That was my start with health. Um, some great things to do. So uh, a big part of our program is mobility, flexibility. And people think they have to go and do a yoga class or um, kind of focus on their stretching. But what's fun to do is to work it into your day. And this is great with kids to walk around like different animals. So if you walk around like an orangutan or a, or a gorilla and you can stretch different parts or you can roll on the floor like a bear or whatever it is, you just play with animals. And then what I also do is, you know, if for those people who have kids, I don't have kids, but I have seven nieces. They sometimes build up a lot of energy and it comes out in the form of um, a very loud expression. Mm -hmm. So like a tantrum. And well, you can get this energy out by doing a big dance party by doing a jumping and yelling. So I recommend, you know, with kids to instead of, okay, you can exercise, make them jump around and dance, put on some music and the whole family should dance. You can make it a whole cathartic kind of uh, experience or just have the kids like jump in place and shake their arms. You know, we're as adults, we become very conservative with our movements. And so, um, kids are more free. And so to instill that in them, it's very cathartic. So I would do that movement and then, join them in, in kind of walking around the house like a, like a whatever animal you guys decide and help with the mobility. That sounds awesome. Can we just to close, can everyone say what their favorite animal is to walk around like? I mean, I'll, I'll go first. Definitely elephant for me, you know, kind of all, mm. on all fours, but, you know, stretched up as far as I can go. And then also, um, you know, doing my um, trunk thing. I love that. I think for me, it would be like a flamingo. So like a balance. Ah, on one leg, kind of hopping, yeah. some, hopping sometimes. 
Yeah. And then, and then stepping very gingerly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Owen, what's your favorite animal to walk around like? Uh, well, uh, the one that most realistically happens is the bull, uh, as in in the china shop. Um, I'm very clumsy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I think if I just own that more, I might feel better about it. <laughs> I'm doing my pa? bull walk now. This is for help. I want. I want to see these guys. See you doing these at some point. I want you guys to post and see it. Um, I, I like. I like to go for like orangutan or something that climbs and and mm. jumps on the hands side to side. Yeah, jumping you know? around. Yeah, yeah. I get to you doing your orangutan movements on the Zoom, and I think you would be very convincing at that. <laughs> uh, Paul Benson of Altus Health, thank you so much for joining us today on Pandemic Check In. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me. And thank you, Michelle and Owen. Yeah, thank you. It was fun. Thanks so much, Ben, and thank you, Paul. Uh, that's Owen Muir, MD, and Michelle Burnaby, RN, both of Brooklyn Mines. You can find out a lot more about Brooklyn Mines on their website, which is brooklynmines.com. And for you out there listening, we really want you to connect with us. We didn't have time to get to any of the messages or phone calls today, but we're going to do a whole bunch next week, I promise. Give us a call at 858-255-1770. Leave us a message. Let me know if you want us to call you back. Don't worry if you don't. And of course, that number is clickable. Just tap over to the show notes. You can tap to read the show notes, and it's right there. And our standard disclaimer, listening to a podcast is not a substitute for getting real help. The show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical and or mental health advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or your mental health needs. And if you need help right now, text the crisis text line. You can text the word HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741, and that will connect you with a crisis counselor. You can do this. You're going to be okay. You can also call right now if you want to talk to a person. You can call 1-800-LIFE-NET. That will connect you with a crisis counselor on the phone. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show and finding it useful, please tell your friends and family. Tell anyone you think we can help. Leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. That does help give the show a boost in discoverability, and it helps people find us. Pandemic Check-In is produced by Western Sound and Brooklyn Minds. We'll be back next week.